the starting lineup for your Gangsters, what's up guys? Are you a slacker? Envy. I'm not gonna debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet. New Year's and welcome to Flicking and Screaming. We are back. I am Jed Sprague, joined here with my co-host and the only other person who got sent a case of Jared Leto's hard kombucha. That is JT Chipman. Dude, I, I got a little uh, Jeremy Renner hot sauce to go in the kombucha too. A little yeah. kick to it, kind of Bloody Mary vibe. It's fantastic. Love it. Love it. Unfortunately, we will not be joined by our other co-host, uh, Evan Fagundis tonight, because he is uh, about, you know, frolicking about the, the world um on vacation and we're happy for him he deserves the time to kick back and relax did he get a boxed invitation for this vacation i don't we never interrogated that no we did not interrogate that and if that wasn't a clue this week we are talking about the glass onion a knives out mystery that hit netflix uh and the universe for you and me at least evan saw way back in october uh but just before christmas but before we get into that chip how are you doing, man? Um, did this film take you back to the days of partying with your 40-person quarantine bubble? <laughs> I just wish you could have been there for it. That's all yeah. I'll say. Yeah. Uh, I'm doing great, man. We had, a, we had a bit of a break here in the pod. Almost a month since we were able to hop on a call together. Still feels like we're waiting for the big one to get Evan back. Um, so it was, it was definitely missed in my life. But I had a good time uh, of relaxing, unplugging over the holidays. Really tried to... I mean, definitely watched quite a few things, but also had a lot of off-screen time, lots of like playing games and reading books, card games and the like, and that was that was really healthy, I think. That was really nice, but uh, glad to be back on some more screen time, I guess to put it that way. I've got some, I got some goals for 2023 with my screen time. I didn't meet my goals from last year, but uh, we'll talk about that next week. Um, I'm I'm doing all right, man. I I uh, had a good holiday, but the family has been under the weather since luckily Mm. no covid luckily no rsv for any of the babies or the flu just kind of a good old-fashioned cold uh but first time with like really with sick kids and also being sick and uh let me tell you no fucking joke uh it has made me question a lot of things in my life uh but we're on (laughs) we are on the mend good to hear uh and happy to be talking uh about the glass onion um you know, I think when Knives Out came out, we were all clamoring, right? Mm-hmm. We we're just like, make a million of these. Uh, so I think the first question I want to ask is like, did it live up to the hype? It's Knives Out 2, right? Like, it's the Glass Onion, but it's Knives Out 2. Did it live up to the hype? Did it live up to the hype? For me, okay, well, okay. There's a couple ways to answer this question. For me, I don't know if it quite lived up to the hype. Um, I think that it was a little bit underwhelming compared to what I thought the potential was with this cast and with the uh, the money that Ryan Johnson had at his disposal and the time they had to work with. But I would say that, you know, in terms of the reception, it probably did live up to the hype. Right. I mean, it's been balls to the wall, Benoit Blanc memes for what, like three weeks straight. And I think that's a I think that's an accomplishment. Like there are so many movies that come and go. And especially on these streaming services, right? But I think the Glass Onion really does have some staying power for being a quote-unquote streaming original movie. 
before we get into this, I think you said something that I think is really interesting, that the way we judge movies' success now is by its, like, meme ability. It's like, oh, it, are we I, seeing memes of uh, memes of it on Twitter? Like, how fucked up is that? It is. That it, it's, it's fucked it, up. It, but think about, like, Sony released Morbius twice because of memes, and it fucking flopped both times. And everyone thought that nobody liked Avatar because it wasn't memed. And look at what what Jim is doing. But Jim is him, yeah. of course. Of course. Um, we know this. Yeah, we know we know that Jim is him. So that's my that's my quick aside. Uh, yeah, Evan's, I mean, Evan's not here to bring us back on track. <laughs> this is going to be such a weird pod. Like, I guess, like, I don't mean to equate hype with like critical success but just in terms of the the appetite that i think people had for the movie i certainly think it's lived up to it in that respect i think that the public is really happy well i'll tell you what i think stroke of genius releasing this around the holidays oh my god because i watched it in my parents living room with my two sisters and uh my parents and my grandma and my wife um, after like the kids all were asleep and it was like, it was a riot. Everyone was having a great time. It was like the closest to a theater experience you could get without being in the theater. Mm-hmm. And I think that was the intention, right? It was like, let's, this is the movie that's going to play well with a room full of people. Yeah. So let's get a room full of people together. When's the quickest time to do that? The holidays. Um, and also, you know, we're kind of still like, I don't know. I mean, we're still in that this time where people don't really want to go out of their way to go to the movies. I used to go to the movies every Christmas day, mm-hmm. like after opening presents before Christmas Day dinner at my grandparents' house. We would always drive up and we'd go see whatever movie got released. Um, you know, cue the Wolf of Wall Street, seeing Wolf of Wall Street in between my two grandmas mm-hmm. um, story. But. You know, this is kind of like, I feel like the new version of that. Yeah, you know, and this is the first time where I feel like something's lived up to that expectation of, yeah, fuck yeah, Christmas Day movie, and even yeah. though it got released the week of Christmas, but you know, yeah, it was. I think it was technically the day after Christmas, which I almost wonder why they didn't just drop it day of. You almost feel like, hey, once the presents are unwrapped and you need something to distract yourself with, I don't know, uh, who am I to question Netflix right now? It seems like they're. It seemed like it was a decision that, that paid off for them, but. I mean, to go back to your point about the movie theater thing, everyone went and saw Avatar this month. And it almost feels like people have kind of a one, once a month thing for the theater now. You know, if they're going to go out once and spend the money, a lot of people saw it, you know, in 3D, paid bunches and bunches of money for their tickets, got the specialized drinks and concessions and all that. It almost feels like, all right, I'm good until next year on the movies. Like, even if they did, even if Glass Onion did have the option to be in a theater Christmas week, I really don't think many people would have gone for that. Yeah, and and I mean even further than that, right? It it feels like there's specific types of movies that people are going to see in the theater, mm-hmm. right? It's like, oh, you have to see this. It's a huge, it's a theater experience. See, Top Gun Maverick. Mm-hmm. You know, see Avatar: Way of Water, right? Those are like any of the fast movies, any kind of like big action movie. I feel like is so much more of like you got to see it, right? Because you're surrounded by the sound and the, you know, just the hugeness of everything. Um, and you know, I'll vouch for horror in a movie theater too. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I think, but I, I think all this leads to the fact that this played really well for me first time, which will definitely influence, um, you know, kind of my thoughts as, as we continue to share, um, throughout this podcast, I'm really interested in talking tonight about Ryan Johnson. Okay. What's his deal? 
Because, like, <laughs> if you look at, like, the movies that he's made and the movies he's made recently, he feels like someone that's got a lot to say. Mm-hmm. And I find it very interesting. What's your what's his through line for you? Um, I mean, he's definitely trying to engage with, I think, generations younger than him, which is interesting. I think that he's I think that he's kind of like almost self-confrontational um, in terms of who he is as a director, the industry that he works in, the steps that he's taken to get where he is and the people around him, you know, whether it's his fellow directors, his fellow creatives, also just his fellow generation and the generations that are kind of coming after him. Right. He loves to tear down the establishment in his, his own way. He loves to throw jabs and he loves to use lingo, man. I, I think, I think personally, my take on it is I find that a little bit more effective when it's told in like metaphor of story versus more of a direct story like Last Onion. I mean, I look at a movie like Last Jedi and that movie's all about how your childhood is a lie um, and you need to grow up and the past needs to die. You know, I think it's one of the taglines from the trailer even. Right. Um, and I find that more enjoyable. I find that kind of storytelling, the way that he's working that into the real world. I enjoyed that more in that kind of blockbuster. Right these past couple movies are more direct with his satire. I mean, he's, he's almost, he's to the point of naming names, right? Yeah. You know, Edward Norton is playing Elon Musk. You can draw several parallels between Dave Batista and Joe Rogan, um, between, you know, like Kate Hudson and just name your canceled celebrity on Twitter <laughs> next month. Right. Like it's, they're so, they're so clear and apparent. Right. I don't think that there's any subtext. And I mean, even Last Jedi is not that subtextual, but it's still told through the lens of like a fiction, another kind of fictional universe. I, I almost wonder if Last Jedi broke him. Right. If he was just like if he was like, oh, you guys don't get the subtext. Let mm-hmm. me just give it to you in the fucking text. Right. Like I, I almost like it. There's an element of Knives Out and Glass Onion that feels like he's hitting us over the head with what he's trying to say, but in a way that I find charming, mm-hmm. not that I find disarming or, or um, you know, or uh, tacky, I guess, yeah. maybe in any way. Yeah, it, it's it can be, for some people, I think myself included, it can be at times a bit nails on the chalkboard. Yeah. Yeah. And... That's an interesting way to put it. It's just like you're like, oh, God, no, really? Yeah, dude, it's just like, you know, um, how do you do, fellow kids? The meme, right? <laughs> I, I feel that I it's it's there a little bit in Knives Out, too. Like, there's no I'm not trying to say that, like, wow, he nailed it in this first one um, and just completely biffed in the second one. Right. Yeah. Um, I really love the first Knives Out movie. I, I hold it like it's a special like year of movies that it came out like it was a fun time like it, it, I definitely have nostalgia for that movie, um, and I we can get into the details of why I hold that a little bit higher in terms of the satire, but you can almost see how we can get – you see the early blueprint of how we get to this point of Glass Onion where it's a bit, bit more on the nose. Yeah, so let's get into it. I want to talk about first like Glass Onion versus Knives Out from a story perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Pure story. You know, let's take all the meta text out of it. Um, did, do you think like the setting of rich billionaire Island versus the original, you know, it is, uh, an extremely wealthy family, but Mm -hmm. did that, did that already kind of have you maybe a little bit at odds? Like, was that 
interpersonal family dynamic a little bit more affecting for you? Sure. When you say setting, are you talking about like physical setting or just the character setting? Character because setting. I do think that's a different answer. Because I think physical setting, I'm still totally with. Like uh, the island design is yeah. pretty freaking cool, right? But like, also j- like the sweaters of oh, yeah. Knives Out. It's like, I think that is, uh, fuck, I don't, sorry, I don't want to step on your point. But part, part of me, like what I love the brilliant stroke of this was him going opposite, right? Yeah. He did this kind of cozy caper where everyone's in sweaters and Benoit's in tweed suits and, yeah. you know, I it's, mean, it's an autumn movie and it's a summer movie, right? Yeah. So if yeah. he makes like, I mean, another murder mystery movie, right? Murder on the Orient Express, the recent Brana one, that's a wintertime movie, right? Ryan right. Johnson, maybe he's got a version of that saved up for Benoit Blanc with lots of scarves and gloves and mittens and all that. I don't know. You know, yeah. we'll, we'll see, we'll see what he can get up to. Um, but no, I, I, I love the island setting, um, especially for the outfits, but also for a, a change of pace. And uh, I do think that a dose of isolation is good, whether it is an isolated country home or an isolated island, I think helps to concentrate on your characters. Um, I did find that I just the, the first movie, man, I just believe that all these characters belong in a room together. And I believe that it's a family unit. I yeah. believe that these people have butted heads for 30 years somewhat about money but also they don't really have a choice because they are blood right and they're coming together in 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 knives out because of money and because they're suckling at a golden teat of the will just as our characters in glass Onion are suckling at a golden teat of uh, making sure they keep on the payroll of of edward norton right but the issue to me was just the origins of the friendship (laughs) right i can i can kind of stretch right I, i can stretch to get why they're still hanging out to why, you know, progressive governor candidate would still, you know, bend the rules and hang out behind the scenes with bro dude, you know, rhino boner pill streamer, men's rights advocate. But I don't buy that they were friends initially. I don't really get this. Yeah. I, I texted Ashley about this. Like, this isn't how I met your mother. Right. I, they, I they would not have been that bar together. Yeah. So I agree with you. I think that's the if we talked about this with the Fablemans in our group text where. Allison Williams' performance is like the litmus test for whether or not you like it. And I think the litmus test for Glass Onion is if you could just get past the fact that it's completely unbelievable that they would have all been hanging out before they were famous. I like I think to me that was the thing that bothered me the most. Is like it would have been so believable that this guy became super rich and famous and then developed this group of yeah. like, you know, this sphere of influence around him. Right of Rhino Boner Pill Hawker, canceled uh, fashion designer, governor of Connecticut. You know it, that to me makes sense. Is right. It's like oh, these all these weird rich people in power mm-hmm. like become friends because they're weird and rich and in power. Cool. Yeah. But like them all hanging out when they're all like poor and in their twenties. Get the fuck out of here. Like, nah, get dude. the fuck out of here. But. But I got past it. Like, that's to me, it didn't ruin. Like, to me, that was just like the, yeah, 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 yeah. That's not sure. why we're here. Sure. We're, yeah. We're no, here you to can hang you out can, with, with all these folk. You can yada yada it, I think. And and still, like, I, I, I want to say, like, overall, I guess, like, I still had a fun time with the movie, and you can yada yada it some. It's just like, I think that coming back to it and, like, reflecting on it, and even at the very beginning, like, it, it, kind of leaves uh hmm, you're a bit quizzical at first and then you can kind of shake it off especially with the second and third act you can kind of have some more fun and then just as for me as i think about it more i'm like mm, well can't really shake that feeling as much as i thought all right 
I want to talk about some of these characters a little mm-hmm. depth, but before that, I kind of want to talk about the COVID of it all because I think yeah. that's an unassailable part of the of the film. Uh, did it bother you? I think I've kind of been on record a little bit as like anti. Like we don't need to t- do COVID movies. You know, we don't mm-hmm. need to talk about COVID in movies or you know make it a thing. Um, but obviously, this was filmed during COVID. And it's a huge part of the film. Did it bo- did it bother you at all? Like, was it just one of those things where you're like, really, did we need to do this? I don't think it bothered me, but I did find it like, I mean, your jokes, like, I think the jokes hit at like a 70% rate with the COVID stuff. Like the mask thing was very funny. Like the mesh mask that oh. Kate Hudson had. Hilarious. Oh, hilarious. Elite. Great, great stuff. Um, but then like, there were like the, the Among Us joke just was bad. Like, I it was cool to see that Zoom call. I liked the Zoom call. I liked the idea of like Blanc being friends with with Angela Lansbury and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. Like that's funny. But I the I guess the hook of the joke being among us. I was like, oh, I just don't want to see this and think about this again. Yeah. I I mean that's just the nature of a, a passing. That's just the nature of putting fads in your movies, right? Like they yeah. are going to age and it's going to be a bit hmm cringy you know you're it's a bit cringy but i i do think that it wasn't the it it was of all my gripes with the movie this is probably one of the smaller ones i think what about you yeah no funnily enough it didn't really bother me i think if anything it was a really convenient way for them to write any staff off of Mm. the island true which i thought was like that was like, at first, when it was all happening, I was like, okay, like, okay, we're doing the COVID thing. And then, you know, Ethan Hawke shows up and shoots them down the throat yeah. with the, you know, the COVID cure, which is, like, funny. That, that was funny. But, but then when they get to the island and he's like, oh, I sent all the staff home. And then you see, like, the robot camel, you know, walking in the background with all their bags. I was like, okay, all right, this is, like, a funny way to get them all isolated, right? Mm-hmm. It kind of removed the the others from this like typical murder mystery like that's right that's always a huge part is the help always always has eyes on in these murder yeah. mystery movies um and so i thought it was an interesting way to to really uh shrink the world in an effective mm-hmm. way uh yeah, so it's a good point i hadn't thought about it that way for that i think it was uh, it was it was worth it um do you want to talk about the the good or the bad first let's let's talk about the bad first man let's just get it out of the way and then have some fun afterwards all right let's do it what what bothered you about this movie you know it's so interesting when you talk about you use words like the help right you're talking about just like hey you're your staff um or you know servants essentially that i'm sure this guy would be cultivating um the first knives out movie was so much about the help and it was about Ana de Armas and also the housekeeper, whose name I can't quite remember. But um, you know, you know who I'm talking about. She almost gets killed by, or she does. Uh, Fran, Fran, yeah. yeah, she gets killed by Chris Evans. Yeah, literally. she's uh, she's in the Righteous Gemstones. She's an amazing, yeah. hilarious comedic act- actress. I gotta remember, okay. her, but she's okay. Awesome. Um, but there was, a, I think, there was more balance in the first one between our rich ass family. Um, and the surrounding characters of the help at the house of Blanc, but then also of the police presence. And I think that you need some more straight man characters in, in especially when you've got an eccentric guy like Benoit Blanc. And I will get to Helen 
who Helena's great, Janelle Monet's turn as as the other twin, essentially. Helena's yeah. awesome. But from beginning to end in Knives Out, you're surrounding Blanc with like kind of normal people who are comedic foil who can like contribute a joke or two of their own, but can also play straight to his, you know, CSI KFC stuff with Lakeith Stanfield, with Ana de Armas. Lakeith was really missed in this movie, man. I'm not gonna lie. Like I really needed like like even at the beginning of the movie, right? Eventually, Blanc says, "Hey, I'm gonna I I'm gonna play up my southern shtick." That's what he tells the Janelle Monae character. He's like, "Oh, I'll play the dumb southern." Uh, he, he says, "Like I'll play some hokum or something for him," so they just think I'm unassuming, and I actually was invited, right? So he's playing it up more, but he doesn't have the Lakeith character to correct, I guess, almost. You know, um, I just find that I just find that so appealing about the first movie, and maybe yeah. just because it's Lakeith too, because we stand for that guy on this pod. But maybe the biggest swing and a miss of Glass Onion, now that I think about it, is is Hugh Grant not coming to the island with him. Oh, man. Like, can That's you imagine? the best part of the movie, too, can you, dude. Can you imagine if, like, Ben was like, oh, yeah, I showed up with my husband and, you know, or or partner or whatever. Like, mm-hmm. we don't know if they're married. But uh, can you imagine if, like, that would have been an amazing foil. It's yeah. It's just, like, you know, him, who's not, obviously, clearly not a detective, trying to work on, uh, like, work alongside him, I think would have been a good foil. I think... Ryan is definitely more interested. He was clearly more interested in Anna in Knives Out than Lee Keith as, and he's clearly yeah. more interested in like the young woman helping out Benoit. Yeah. As yeah, like the, as the aside rather than, you know, than giving him like a traditional like police kind of sidekick or, you know, male sidekick. And exactly. I think, she's not pushing back. No, she's like learning from him and but also being helpful. Like you get the sense that Ryan really believes, oh, it wouldn't the mystery wouldn't be solved without Helen. Right. Clearly, the mystery wouldn't be solved without Anthony Armas's character because, Mm -hmm. you know, she is integral to the mystery. Um, But yeah, I don't know. I thought it was I thought it was interesting. Did how was the was the mystery? Did it work on you? Because I think. What we talked about with Knives Out, I went back and listened a little bit to like what we have said about it. And we talked about, oh, one of the best parts is it flips the whodunit on its head. It tells us exactly what happened early on. Mm-hmm. This movie doesn't do that. Yeah. You're kind of very much in the dark for the first like hour and ten minutes. Uh, did that work for you as well? I, and, I, and I think maybe before you answer this, the way that I can kind of sum up how I how I feel about it is I'm happy that he made it, he made the thing the two things different right like that's why I'm happy that the help weren't in this one right where like the I feel like if if he had all the same archetypes of characters in this one as well it wouldn't have been uh, as interesting to me personally mm-hmm. but anyway yeah yeah I think the story worked for me um, I like the pacing. I liked the extended use of flashback. I know that's something people have pointed to as being maybe a bit annoying, but Janelle Monet is pretty talented, obviously. More time with Blanc is fantastic. Time with him, it's enjoyable. It's funny when he talks down to people when he's the smartest guy in the room, but it's also interesting when he is engaged in a more intelligent conversation with someone who is kind, you know? 
that's one of the points of the first movie, Blanc telling Anonymous, because you're a good nurse with a kind heart, you know? He's, yeah, he's an empathetic detective. Totally. He's, he's totally just, empathetic. He's not just the gentleman detective, he's the empathetic detective. And I think that's, to me, what that's such a brilliant part. It's like some of my favorite parts is when Helen comes to his place, I think it's in London, mm-hmm. and they're sitting out there and they're kind of yeah. devising this plan. You know, he talks down to the people that are above him, right? He talks yeah. down to the rich people. You know, uses his intelligence to overpower them. Exactly. But he comes down to the common folks level. Yes, is, he is. He's so not a sociopath like like a Sherlock type, right? Yeah, exactly. So I did enjoy I really did enjoy the kinder side of him in those in those flashback sequences. And it was nice that you did. I mean, that it was pushed off a little bit more to the end, kind of the bigger main reveals. Whereas, like you said, like we said, with Knives Out, you pretty much know what's going on from the beginning. Um not a bad thing at all in either senses, but it is nice that it was changed up a little bit. It, it was funny that Blanc says it's time to finish this, and there's still an hour and 15 left in the movie with the flashbacks. <laughs> that cracked me up quite a bit. Yeah, incredible stuff. I, I think – did you think that this was a surprise, though? We we're talking a little bit about the story, and, like, it doesn't tell us what happened. But I didn't think it was surprising. I thought it kind of – it really pointed towards it. I wasn't 100% sure. I At least the twin thing. I didn't see the twin thing coming. I knew there was something up with the Janelle yeah, Monet character, that the, but that was a shock. But So I think maybe that's right. We can equate the twin thing to finding out that uh, – what's his face? The author in the first – Zombie killed himself. Yeah, kills himself, right? Yeah. Those two are equitable, and then finding – you know, Chris Evans and Thornton are kind mm-hmm. of – are equitable. But I feel like once we got the switch and we got the the twin reveal, it was kind of obvious that it was going to be Norton the whole yeah. time. Yeah, that definitely did track there. Um, but it didn't bother me at all that I no. that I knew that. It didn't bother me, and I didn't mind how much they leaned into it. Yeah, that it was exceedingly dumb. Think- and they and they planted the clues early. With Blanc being bad at him, like, even though I think the Among Us thing was dumb, Blanc being bad at Among Us, being bad at Clue. He's like, dumb things are my Achilles heel. Yeah, I, I did love the, it's just so stupid, that whole element at, like, towards the end. It really was. Because he's no longer hiding how low he thinks of the people around him, right? Because he can, he can do the excessive charm. And he's excessively bullshitting people, but he finally just uh, unfiltered. It's dumb. I, I've rewatched it twice now, so I've rewatched okay. it three times. And wow. I think when you rewatch it, that kind of dumb element, like it lends itself to the rewatchability because everything that Norton says, you are just cackling mm-hmm. at like you see Blanc. You know, you see him clocking it. You see him clocking all this dumb shit, right? Like, mm-hmm. you see him clocking, uh, you know, can we just take a moment to abbreviate this situation? <laughs> or when he gets called up and he's like, why is your car on the roof? And he's like, because there's nowhere to drive it on the island. Like, you know, shit like that. Like, it's so, it it almost, I, I think many people have called this a puzzle movie more, mm-hmm. than, a, more than a mystery movie. I'm interested to hear where you, where you land on that. But I've been I've uh, been reinvigorated since Christmas. Uh, I'm doing the crosswords. Me and Rachel, I airplay the crossword 
the New York Times crossword every day for my iPad. And while the girls are napping, we'll do the crossword together. That's so cute, um, dude. And from doing puzzle activities again, the satisfaction comes from the retracing of your steps and realizing how close you were all along or that kind of like, of course, moment. Mm -hmm. And this movie has that in spades. It has it in spades. And I like that a lot. Uh, it's designed to be rewatched in my opinion. Mm -hmm. And so I, you, have you, have you really enjoyed your rewatches? Is it something where you're like, oh man, I got to rewatch this for the pod. Or you're like, Hey man, glass onion time. Let's fire back up. So I fired it up the second time for the first reason and the third time for the second reason. Okay. I, so like I watched it the second time. I was like, I need to probably watch it again before we talk about this on the podcast. And then I watched it the third time because I was like folding laundry and I was like, I need something to turn on. And I Netflix popped up and it was like trending now. And it's like glass onion. I was like, fuck it. Let's do it again. And next thing you know, I wasn't folding my laundry. I was sitting on the couch watching the movie. Mm -hmm. um, so I think it works. And to me, rewatchability is is a sign of a good movie. Yeah. Certainly. No, I, mean, no I, I would definitely fire this one up again. I, I haven't mostly just lack of time, frankly, <laughs> not necessarily lack of desire, because I do think it would be fun to see those clues unfold in real time as opposed to flashback. Even something like when Blanc says Helen, when he's calling out to Janelle Monet running uh, towards him after the lights have gone out. Right. Those little things that you'll you'll pick up on. Right. Um, even, even just the little stuff of like when she tells him when they first get land on the beach and they're kind of hang back and they mm -hmm. make like they're meeting for the first time. And she goes, you've got a, a flat tire there. And he bends down and you know, in the flashback that that's them talking about, like actually yeah. talking about what they know at that point. Yeah. Like, yeah, those moments play really well. The second mm -hmm. round, um, which, which I was, I was surprised, honestly. Um, but I really, really, Really liked it. Uh, did we ever talk really about what you disliked about it? Other than like you kind of said one great. So I, I have, I have two more points. Am I talking you into it a little bit? Am I talking you into it? A, a little bit, yeah. I have, I have two more dislikes, and I'll try to go through them pretty quickly. One, I just think the cast of the first movie is better. I think that, I mean, if we're just doing like comparisons, right? I think that like Jamie Lee Curtis... And Tony Collette, I just kind of have a greater sign when it comes to like Catherine Hahn and Kate Hudson. I think, I mean, Kate Hudson is, I mean, both both Kate Hudson and Catherine Hahn are phenomenal performers, right? I just think that the performances that Tony and Jamie Lee Curtis are giving in the first one are a little bit better, a little more memorable for me personally. Yeah. Um, I don't know if Leslie Odom is an amazing actor. Um, definitely, it's it's Batista, right? He's awesome. Like there is amazing. no denying how fucking funny he is in this movie, dude. What? Yeah, we'll talk about we'll we'll talk about favorite performances yes, like after definitely. this. But um, but I just I just find and I I frankly I think I'd put Anadarmus above Janelle Monet um in terms of the the kind you know figure that Blanc bonds with to solve the mystery right I just think that's a better actor and a better performance um and I mean I, I guess I would obviously Edward Norton is a better actor than Chris Evans, but I do think that they are pretty similar. I don't think that one stands out hugely above the other in terms of like villain roles that's going on there. Um, so that's, that's kind of my, uh, my point there is I just think that the acting is a little better in the first one. And then the satire, especially in the first 10 minutes of the movie, I just started the movie with a sour taste in my mouth because of how direct 
and obvious the the satire was and you can shake it it does not last throughout the whole movie um but it was it was that was the cringiest part was hearing like leslie odom talk about crypto or whatever like nfts and i'm just like oh my god like i don't i don't want to be i'm watching a movie i'm not doom scrolling i'm seeing i'm hearing the same words that i see when i'm on twitter mad about whatever else is going on in the world right but it does not last so it does it does shake that which is nice um and i do think as well like parts of this movie are going to age bad like among us has already aged bad but they couldn't have asked for better timing with modeling your villain after elon musk i mean they made this movie before he bought twitter and he's denying that by the way he he says it's not supposed it's modeled on a bunch of people and i think they're doing that like they're releasing you know they the promo photo or the photo of norton holding up the napkin is Mm -hmm. um uh you know Uh, elizabeth holmes yeah designed elizabeth holmes and like there's like a bunch they definitely pick and choose but it's hard to not think of self-appointed savior of the world billionaire who is you know going to save the planet yeah it's hard not to think of it as elon musk right exactly exactly so i do think that the timing he of came that to was, this country with nothing but a diamond mine or an emerald mine chip how dare you know, he these are just bootstraps you know dude that's what the b in bitcoin stands for the american dream carnegie and musk that's the those are the jesus two. fucking christ it was, I mean, that, I, I, Norton's great. Like, there's, that that part was not the cringy part to me, so. Um. All right, what was your other complaint? You those two. those are my two, the satire and the casting. Okay. In terms of just, and really, how, how big are those uh, gripes versus just, hey, I think the first one got this a little better. Yeah. What did you like about it? Oh, man. Uh, Batista, can we get back to that? Can we talk about Big Dave? You want to talk about favorite performances? Yeah, yeah, dude, I really do. Um, Dave Bautista, I think he's transcended the wrestler actor thing. Yeah. And I think he's just like actually a phenomenal performer. Dude, not, I think of not him even, as an actor before a wrestler now. Not even in the sense, I forget that he was ever a wrestler. And not even in the sense of like, oh, he's just a great action star actor. Right? Where like you can forget maybe that The Rock was a wrestler if you really try hard. Mm-hmm. And be like, oh, The Rock's a great action star. Dave Bautista's like a genuinely emotionally complex performer. Mm-hmm. What he's doing in this in this movie with like, he's definitely got the pivot point part. You have to believe his his stuff to kind of believe the way it all shakes out. Yeah, and I think it he nails it. Um, he just. He, his face is able to convey so much um, despair and sadness, but also he's like, yeah, he's fucking hilarious as well. Mm-hmm. Like when he gets out of the pool in his speedo and shoots his gun. And he's like, oh, I've always got it. You never know when shit's about to go down. I mean, I fucking cackled because we all Dude. know people. We all know people like that. We do. And he says those lines. You never know what's going to go. He, he says it with a straight face. He's just like, oh, yeah, I totally believe that I'm going to need to fire off this weapon. He doesn't just say it with a straight face. He, like, looks to the side as if he's like, I'm on watch. (laughs) He's like, I'm a fucking always on watch right now. You never know. He's he's like, you never know when the woke mob's going to be lurking in the bushes. You know, that's something that he would believe. 
Dude. And 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 really just it's it's Duke don't dance with pineapple. Yeah, the Duke don't dance with pineapple. Holy shit. <laughs> I don't like honestly that almost makes up for like every other awkward or cringy joke that Ryan Johnson wrote in this movie. Duke don't dance with pineapple. Put it on my tombstone. Tattoo that on my forehead. Are you kidding me? Even his introduction was the one that I liked the best. Oh yeah. It's like I want to address something that Jimmy Kimmel said. I don't hate boobs. Like that yeah. is fucking <laughs> classic. When I'm talking yeah. about the breastification of America, I mean it is. It's per. It's so perfect for yeah. what his role was. He is the one that understood the assignment more than anybody. Yes. Right. Just I, be a chud. I feel like. I don't think the castings were wrong. I think where we went wrong, and I think part of it is like. You needed the governor character and you needed the scientist character because apparently the crux of the movie was this like new fuel, like unstable fuel mm-hmm. that they that they found. They're going to just like announce to the world. But if they were all just like, hey, this billionaire has surrounded himself with questionable Internet characters, like if they were all just different versions of of like YouTubers mm-hmm. or podcasters, I think it would have been fucking incredible. Yeah, I agree. Like, like Catherine Hahn Cook, right? Why couldn't she have been just like Jordan Peterson's daughter? You know, like, why, yeah. like, like, I only eat beef and water. Like, why couldn't that have been her character? You know, like, did we really need her to be a governor? Yeah, and not only that, but like, a apparently leftist governor. Like, her husband's wearing a Greenpeace shirt, and she's like, I, 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 I just. It, it was too much of a stretch, but you know that's that's okay. We're we're talking about the things we like now. Yeah. Um, I, Dave Bautista, you like Dave Bautista? Dave Bautista um, is great. So, so I mean, and then Kate Hudson is also really good. Like I, she is very believable in that role. Like uh, her joke about the sweatshops is amazing. The we already mentioned the mesh face mask. The way she treats her assistant and the way she treats her party goers, and she's got like, oh, they're all in my bubble. You know, it's it's that character is yo-yo ma being at her party also incredible incredible stuff um but what i loved yeah i i loved a lot about her character but one of my favorite moments of the movie like and probably like again one of the more on the nose moments and i i don't know why it doesn't bother me when ryan does this versus when other people but when they're all sitting around you know at the pool and and she's like you know i'm just not afraid to like speak the truth and and uh, Benoit says something along the lines of like something like uh, it's a dangerous thing uh, to mistake speaking without thought for speaking the truth. Like, right. Like the, that like that resonated. Right. And and I think a lot of the that part of her character um, resonates for sure, as as well as just like. Right. The. Why is why does she do the things that she does? Right. Money. Capitalism. Right. She's mm-hmm. fucking she's a slave to the market, baby. Yeah. Like. It was, it was, it was very interesting. Um, there's, there's a lot of like, that's what I think this movie really, um, what I, I really enjoyed about the movie is he took some swings, he mm-hmm. took some big swings, right? He's got a lot to say about capitalism and, and wealth. He's got a lot to say about, um, like he's got a lot to say self, about art. Yeah. Art, the self-importance of like wealthy people and how mm-hmm. like just because you're wealthy doesn't mean you're smart. And in fact, often it's the opposite, right? A bunch of wealthy people are right. really fucking stupid. Uh, 
Uh, yeah, I, I thought it was really, really, really uh, fun with that kind of stuff. When he's when he's in those beats, it really cracked me up. Like I, I opened the fucking the podcast with a Jared Leto kombucha joke. That mm-hmm. shit killed me. Right. I got a lot I got, of names. I got Hugh. I got Hugh Glass to compose the dong. You know, like that. Sh- that's hilarious. Jared Leto's kombucha. Jeremy Renner's hot sauce. Just name drop. Like again, we all know the name drop person. Mm-hmm. It's it's yeah. That's what I liked about it. It made me laugh out loud a lot each time I watched it. So that's maybe maybe we should talk about this. I watched this alone with headphones on. Yeah, not the it colored my experience. Yeah, not the environment. Would you? When did you watch Knives Out for the first time? Um, in a theater. I was. I watched it by myself in the theater, but there was a pretty big crowd, and I remember there was definitely some some laughs. Like I remember, um, oh my god, like even uh, when freaking Tremblay is like, "You dirty anchor baby!" Like I remember like gasping and laughing along with the crowd. Like there there were other moments like that, but it was certainly a communal experience. Yeah, I think the thing is like, it's in, inescapable, right? Mm-hmm. The the way you first consume a piece of art always color it yeah um especially with movies and so like i think if you would have watched this first with i i think the way you can reconcile this is watch it with a group of people that haven't seen it yet yeah it's gonna be hard to find that dude if you show this to somebody that hasn't seen it and you get those laughs for the first time like i was cracking up but i was also enjoying the fact that like my parents were cracking up and you know, and my wife was cracking up and stuff. So I, I was going to ask this movie. A lot of the jokes are kind of online. Right. And I don't know. If, I don't know how long online your parents are. I'm assuming they're not. They are not online. Um, but they were. But I think online and newsy have become kind of conflated. That's a, a good point. A, yeah. a bit. And I think they were able to like like I don't think the Jared Leto's hard kombucha like that didn't land for them. Okay. Right, but all the Elon Musk undertones like totally landed with them. Sure. Um, you know, there's like there's things that land and there's things that there's things that don't. Um, you know, like I don't know if they understood that 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 guy was that the Duke was modeled after Joe Rogan. But what they did understand was that that's a type of online character that exists. And that's, okay. And that's funny. They're uh, cable news people, so yeah, there definitely is some bleed there. Oh, for sure, for sure. Yeah. And and I think maybe what was surprising is, you know, they're obviously a little bit more, you know, swinging one direction than I sure. than I personally am. Um, and they still thought it was fucking hilarious. Yeah. You know, and which I think is, again, a, a sign of of good satire. Yeah. Opinion. Yeah. I think I think that makes sense. Yeah. That it's not just like pandering to one one like. There is some satire that panders so hard to either direction sure. that, that it's like eye rolly, even sometimes to the people that it's trying to pander to. That's one thing that I thought the first Knives Out did really well was the um, oh, God, is she's in is she, is she 13 Reasons Why? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yes. So her character, right? She's the Marxist feminist student or whatever, right? They, pl- they prop her up as kind of the liberal, you know symbol of hope and freedom and then at the end of the day she also is willing to compromise for money and they still do that with the governor character with with Catherine Hahn's character i just think that's more effective in the first one 
Yeah, it almost feels like the jokes he's making or like the comments he's making are informed by the first, like by Knives Out. Yeah, right? I think so. He's like, hey, you've watched Knives Out. You understand what I'm trying to talk about. Yeah. Now let's just fucking have a great time. Um, do you have any favorite moments? Any standout moments for you? There, There's like this 30-minute stretch in between when – basically when they all sit down for dinner and they're about to introduce the game and then Blanc solves it right away. So, that's great. That's a great five minutes. But even just that like – there's that's just like a 30 minute stretch in between when they sit down for dinner and when the lights go out and uh, after Duke dies, which that's Duke shouldn't die so soon. I love you can't get rid of Big Dave that soon, you know. Uh, but anyway, uh, that, that 30 though, actually surprising. Yes. Yes. Was not anticipating him to go like that. Um, but that 30 minute stretch is maybe the funniest of the movie, but also the most effective. It's obviously filmed in, in a large room, but it is in one room. And you have that tension with the Mona Lisa frame dropping up and down and up and down the glass. That is a really, really good visual cue. It's very loud, and you notice it very hard, but it shocks you. And it makes you pay so much more attention to every ding and every buzz and all of that. And I just that scene in particular, like I, I would rewatch that 30 minutes right now. Like I would run to that almost because it, it was very tense and it was very well written. Yeah, I mean, the moment when he solves, when Blanc solves the whole murder mystery party, and then he gets shot by the fake crossbow because it was on a timer, and, like, the blood spewing out, and North's face is just so mad. And then they walk up, and he throws the iPad at him. Incredible. Very, very funny. Incredible stuff. Do we win, like, an iPad or something? Yeah, for sure. You win an iPad. iPad. Um, yeah, I like How, that. How's, how's your Blanc? How's your Blanc voice? Uh, my my blonde voice is a little under the weather right now. <laughs> I propose my t- my new favorite uh my new favorite meme format is people like putting Blanc in fake situations mm-hmm. and just like letting him spill a soliloquy. The Reddit TV one. Oh, this creature! Well, this rat, this Rodentia, <laughs> Rodentia. Uh, I just go. I just go to get, creature. It's yeah. They good. get a little bit too foghorn leghorn, I think. Um, but no, I, I think any moment in this movie that was my favorite is when there's when it's Blanc sitting with uh Norton in the the glass onion itself, like in the actual yeah. glass onion. Like those were really fun moments when he's asking what he's doing here, and you know, and then and <laughs> Norton's like, you know, fuck it, you're invited now. Yeah. Benoit Blanc and I murder Mr. Party. Sick. He's like, I don't care how you got here. Like, cool. Yeah, that's it, it's it's not believable, but it is because of the eccentricity yeah, of our well, characters. The ego, right? The, the ego. Yeah, that's like, it. I don't care. You know, whatever. Cool. Another famous person. And I can I can brag about this. I can brag about how Blanc was at my murder mystery party. Yeah, this will work for me. Exactly. It, it'll play to whatever audience I shell this to. Um. Any other favorite moments? Um, you know, I did like the flashbacks, too, with Janelle Monet. It's it's really, like, those are, you know, th- there's some jokes there. The it's, it's funny thing, to see. Did the twin thing make you eye roll? No. Yeah, me either. Again, I don't know. Am I a Ryan Johnson fanboy? Like, I just, like, all these things that I don't like when other people do, he just does it in a way where I'm like, sure, man. Sounds good to me. I was I'm good long- with it. And it, it was I was glad, too, because it meant 
we got more Janomone. And even though, like, I still, if I'm playing a comparison game with Ana de Armas, maybe not my preferred, but I did think she was good in the movie. So I was happy to spend, even yeah. though I was like, all right, I have to spend more time with Alabama accent Janomone, <laughs> which is kind of funny. But, um, but like, even when they're like sitting like like at a restaurant, like on a patio outside of Greece or wherever they are, that's just that's just lovely, you know. Yeah. And they're ordering drinks. That's fantastic stuff. Eating ice cream. Yeah. I mean, I, I really I really even like after she blows everything up mm-hmm. and they, he's like kind of sitting on the dock, you know, and, and she walks out. Yeah. To him and they're sitting down and he's just smoking a cigar. Um, all right. I got two more. Two, two more big questions for you. OK. Is there anything else you loved about the movie or is that involved in these questions? One of them is involved in these questions. Okay. All right. But I'm going to save that one for the next question. I have three more big questions, actually. All right. First big question. Is Ryan Johnson an auteur? Uh, sure. Yeah. Yeah. And then um, no, no, that's not, that is not. Is Wes Anderson an auteur? Yeah. Christopher Nolan? Yeah. Steven Spielberg? Yeah. So he's not. You don't think Ryan Johnson's an author? You, but I'm I saying, said, yeah. no, you said, mm-hmm. yeah, I, I was like, thinking. I had to, I had to dwell on the question because I wanted to give you an honest and a full response. And that was the sound of my brain. I just think it's a more of like, you know, it when you see it, I, I think he is. I think this to me. So what is the definition of an auteur? Fucking Google it. I'm not going to do the work for you. Um, But somebody, like, to me, it's always somebody that's got, like, either a a very stylistic point of view, Mm -hmm. a very story point of view, where all of their, like, when I think about Nolan, right, yeah, he's got the style, but he's also, all of his movies have something to do with kind of, like, the idea of time, you know, a lot, right? And and bending time and, and playing with time. Wes Anderson all of his movies are, you know, have that trite quality, the visual aspect of it. Um, but it's also like harkens back to like uh, kind of an older sensibility. To me, this almost cements him, Brian Johnson, as a as an auteur, because if you kind of look at his work now, and this is very meta, but his entire body of work is about subversion mm-hmm. and subverting genre, subverting um uh, you know, fra- big franchises, maybe to the to what many thought would be the detriment of his own career. Um, you know, and, and I think even subverting his own expectations is kind of what he's trying to do. And we can argue maybe till the cows come home about whether or not that makes great films. But he's definitely doing something with his larger body of work. Yeah, I think that here, here's another way that maybe you can think about being on tour like you know it's a blank person's movie when you watch it. Like, I know a Ryan Johnson movie when I see it, and that kind of makes it an auteur. And that's similar to what you're saying when you know it when you see it. I'm kind of just extrapolating a little bit further. 100%. You you are going to know a Wes Anderson movie 100% when you see it. It's the most obvious thing in the world. Maybe with with uh, our guy RJ, it might not be the most obvious thing visually, but you watch it for five minutes, and you listen to the jokes, and you maybe see a few of the shots, and you're like, okay, 
yeah, this is probably a Ryan Johnson movie, right? You understand how he is working within these genres to, uh, to, to break them down and to maybe prop up a couple of his own ideas, right? I do think he does have that artistic vision. Yeah. So I will say yes with confidence now. Love it. Okay. Two more questions. Uh, one is, you know, fun. Kind of, uh, we get to think a little bit. Mm-hmm. And then the other one is um, a little bit more inquisitive. Inquisitive. Uh, all right. All right. We're gonna try to. We're gonna. We're gonna try to get to the bottom of something. Which one do you want to go for first? Uh, let's let's get to the bottom of things next. Let's 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 push that one off. Love it. I don't okay. want to be inquisitive yet. All right. Cool. So, in the fun category, what do you think is next for Blanc? Where do we go next after this? I think I think we're clearly in a franchise. And I think we're on the way to being a great franchise. I think in order to be a truly great franchise, you have to have at least three movies. Yeah. At least three movies. What is the third act of Benoit Blanc? Um, I think they're all having a lot of fun. What would you like to see? I mean, that's, first of all, that's just one of the great things about this movie, though, is that it doesn't have a bunch of callbacks to the first one. It completely stands alone. And there might, there might be one wink. I know there's like a... Someone pointed out there's like some swords in the background of one shot. And they're like, it's like in the first movie. And then I think he's got some other like there's some other line he has about like I've seen something like this before. But oh. it completely stands alone. You know what I loved about it, too, is they. Oh, you're Benoit Blanc. Didn't you solve the murder about the ballerina dancer? Yes. It's so James Bond calling to missions or cases in this case that we haven't seen exactly he's working constantly i love that because it to me that it just like opens the world of ben exactly and they didn't say oh you solved the death of that author it wasn't they didn't call back to that one so yes expanding the universe letting your imagination yeah yeah he's not famous for what we've seen him do he's famous for everything else right he was already famous by the time we we met him in knives Mm -hmm. out correct You know, and like was the I read a tweet about a New Yorker article about you. Yeah, exactly. Was the was the Benoit Blanc case. (laughs) That is. Yeah. I mean, maybe that's the whole reason why Knives Out might be better than this is that is such a great. I read a Tony about a New Yorker article. Because that that that's also something that I do. I read like I do that. And that makes that's the culture, brother. That's the. Yeah, it is blindly blindly tweeting articles or texting articles tweets of articles that you've seen correct to your friends uh amazing stuff uh yeah so where do we want to see benoit next let's see so i i said that we've got the seasons we're working through we had autumn and we had summer so yeah like why not like i don't know the tundra of russia but send, is this, send him to is this summer though is it summer or is it a winter vacation to greece i'm I'm thinking i'm thinking winter time man i want to see i want to see him in like some weird floppy winter hat hiking through the mountains you know i feel like he'd have some just i mean obviously he just have some sort of wild accessories but like like a ski lodge you know yeah yeah can we have him solving the murder of all these russian oligarchs who mysteriously are just like falling down staircases and stuff yeah book oh Putin. <laughs> you know Ryan Johnson wants to do that too. Oh. You know, in the deep dark corners of his mind that he won't actually write scripts for, he's like, I could solve Russia and Ukraine with a Benoit Blanc movie. Yeah, for, for sure. For <laughs> sure. 
Uh, no, uh, Winter Ski Lodge. That's what I want. Winter Ski Lodge. Um, not, uh, not, not in America, though. It needs to be still in a different country. So, I don't know. Put him with a bunch of Canadians. Like, that could be fun. Like, put him in, like, a Canada well, ski lodge. Because then you have polite. some French people, too. Everyone, But everyone's also super polite. You know, it's like he's yeah. dealing with... Yeah, I like that. Um, I want him in Japan. I want, mm, okay. I want Benoit Blanc <laughs> in Japan. Um, I think that would be really fun. We could still do winter. Yeah. We could do like a Mount Fuji situation. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Benoit in, in Japan dealing with like a language barrier. Um, that's how we get like his sidekick. You know, we get the Lakeith of it all is like, um, you know, really good young Japanese actor uh, to be his translator. Mm-hmm. And the whole movie, it's like, you know, him trying to understand the culture, trying to understand. I think that would be really fun. Dude, Benoit Blanc can drive my car. Yeah, like we could do. Now, could why do, are you listening to these tapes over and over? Son? Yeah, we could do Japan like or we can even like I'm cool with like Korea or something. You know, we get we get yeah. some of the cast of Parasite involved. Uh, I'm I'm fine with with that. Just like him in like a I'm trying to think of like what's the most far flung country where we could still do winter. Right. Because yeah, yeah. like I would say like, oh, maybe we could do like, you know, a Thailand or the Philippines. But then we're back in like a kind of a, you know, we're in like. Yeah. A, I also wouldn't be mad to see maybe a little hometown mystery, a little, little New Orleans action. That could be interesting. Would be I, that, so that could be good. But I don't want a Benoit Blanc origin story. I don't want childhood family. Want young, young Benoit. I don't want I don't want I mean. It, it's the skyfall of it, right? And that's Daniel Craig too, right? Like we we've seen the magic of Craig doing the childhood home thing. I don't want to see it with Blanc. Okay, that's fair. Um, but okay. they, I mean, it would be funny to do it in New Orleans. Just just not address his childhood though at all. That would be funny. Yeah, that would be great. I would. That'd be really funny. Like if like he's not actually from the South whatsoever. Yeah. Yeah. That's the big joke. It's like um, I've been watching some of the Muppets lately, and one of the characters, like, he doesn't actually know. Oh, God. Diana's going to kill me for not knowing this off the top of my head. Who's the – did you ever watch the Muppets growing up? Briefs did. I'm not, I wouldn't – like, it give me the general description I might be able to – I've been doing a lot so, of crosswords. There's some Muppet clues. Yeah, dude. So, like, one of the Muppets characters, right, I've been watching, like, Muppet Christmas Carol and all this, and one of them, his, his origin is a bit – Un- unknown i guess it's uh which one is he is it gonzo yeah yeah gonzo like no he's an alien i guess but no one like everyone there's like rats and there's frogs and there's pigs and there's gonzo and no one like under like i think they made yeah. an extra movie about him but like his whole bit is he has no idea what kind of creature he is and that would be funny if it's benoit blanc in louisiana not actually knowing where he's from yeah. This is what happens when I have two glasses of wine before I record. No, oh, I love that. I mean, I could also, I could also, again, get behind him. Like, it, it's clear that Ryan wants to do, like, um, kind of more, like, posh thing. Yeah. Right? So, I, you know, putting him in, in London. Oh, yeah. Right? We could do that easily. But also, you know, I'm kind of talking to myself. I was, I was thinking more, like, far-flung kind of, you know, some more, like, Asian countries where he doesn't know the thing. Like, what about basically like crazy rich Asians, like him in Singapore, like solving a murder in Singapore? It's crazy Absolutely. rich Asians, but let's toss Benoit Blanc in there. I just think yeah. like the idea of like a translator 
as a sidekick, like a young translator as a sidekick would be really money with Ben. Taking him out of these waspy environments would be fun. Yeah. You, I mean, and you could put him in like a waspy environment that is just alien to him, right? Like the whatever their ver, you know, their version of wasp is in whatever mm. jerk he wants to get involved. That'd be really fun. Um, okay, I've got one more question, and then we're gonna give this movie a grade and we're gonna wrap it up. You ready? Yeah. What the fuck was Ryan Johnson saying with the Mona Lisa? Um, I've I mean, seen so much discourse about this, and like I've seen ranging answers from like the most meta shit you've ever heard in your life to just like he thought it was funny. I think it's probably somewhere in between. I think he probably thought it would be a cool idea to have Edward Norton burn up or Ed, uh, to have Edward Norton own the real Mona Lisa and to have it burn up because it Ama- is amazing funny. line, by the way, like when he's like, he's like, France was in trouble. I bought myself a little short term loan. Yes. <laughs> That's really, really good character work there because it's very it, that I believe that I, yeah. that's that's the best. That might be the best pandemic joke in the movie, too. A hundred percent. A hundred percent. It's like this government was in trouble. So I I just decided, like, I'm going to give me the Mona Lisa. And then also the fact that not only am I going to get the Mona Lisa, but I have such an ego that I'm going to get an override button put on the security system. Yeah. Yeah. And of course, it is going to destroy him. And, you know, it's the cute callback to I want to be remembered in the same sentence as the Mona Lisa or whatever. Right. It's another way to. I mean, that's the in-between, right? It's another way to kind of tear down these people with these big ideas and big visions who are actually immoral and small and trample over everybody else, um, even in their dumb ways to get what they want. So, yeah, it's 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 good. It's perfectly a good a good stick. Do you think it's him biting the hand that feeds him? Is it a shot at Netflix? I mean, I've I've seen that that take floating around and you know there's been a lot of discourse between that and also with shows like andor which was people were like oh this is a pro-revolution anti-police state show which like it's kind of about those things but it's like can any sort of popular entertainment funded by disney funded by netflix truly be about truly be like a revolutionary text truly be like a manifesto versus can it dance around these ideas and do the people who have the hand care that it's being bit a little bit being nibbled at. I certainly don't think it's being completely chomped off. It's a nibble. It's more like a I, puppy, you know, when they're biting your hand and you're like, it's yeah. so cute. It hurts a little bit, but I'm going to let him do it. Exactly. Cause it makes them happy. Right. I don't think it is. This isn't, this isn't marks, you know? No, no, it's not marks. We'll talk. Uh, speaking of marks, we got to talk about triangle of sadness. Um, and we, I haven't seen it yet. Oh, fuck. You got to watch that. There's one scene that you're going to lose your mind over. I probably um, Okay. Let's give this movie a grade. Yeah. Uh, am I going first? I can go first if you want. I go, never, go first. I never go, go first. Go, go first. Give me, some, give me some positivity here. B plus. Uh, right. I think I gave Knives Out an A minus. So B plus. They're very close to me. I still like the original better. Um, but... Man, I had so much fun, and I'm throwing my beanie. No one can see that. This podcast format. <laughs> I want to have fun watching movies, people. You, I want to have fun. Yeah. And I had fun with a capital fucking F. You know what? A minus. Fuck it. 
A minus. I had so much fun watching this movie. And I give me a million Benoit Blanc stories. Give me young Benoit Blanc. I don't care as, He's long, so as, we're good. Having, as long as we're having fun. Because yeah. that's the thing. Like, you know what? Give me a James Bond actor to Benoit Blanc actor funnel, right? Is Aaron Taylor Johnson going to take over? Going to take over Bond? Let him take over Blanc in 20 years. I want this to be huge. I want it to be massive. Give me an every two, three year murder mystery with the same detective. That's interesting. That has something to say. Let Ryan Johnson pass it off to the next fucking director who has a vision for it. I don't care. I just want more of them that aren't shitty copies because we got a couple shitty copies of them of Knives Out this year of people trying to capitalize on the wave. And that's true. Don't give me that. Give you only me. want you only want the RJ touch. No, like I said, he could pass it off to somebody that he trusts. Okay. I'm happy for him somebody else to direct Knives Out 3 with, you know, him executive producing so he can make some money on it. But I just want to have fun. And I had a lot of fun. So A minus. I I B plus to A minus. I'm going to be back on because it's it's uh, currently 39 degrees in my garage where I'm recording this. So, You've got the overcoat on, rocking the gonia. Fucking cold. <laughs> fucking cold, man. Um, uh, I, got, I, got my, I got my red wine. To, that's true. Yeah. We yeah, both are drinking red wine on this podcast, by the way, which may be the perfect vibe for, for a Knives Out mystery. It honestly is. Um, I do want to see... It would be fun to see Benoit Blanc interact with Aaron Taylor Johnson and Brian Ty- Tyree Henry from the uh, Bullet Train movie. That would be good chemistry, those three together. Elite chemistry. But anyway. Um, oh, dude. So, okay. I'm going to give it like a B minus. Okay. It's a C plus to a B minus. Which, when my letterbox review was like, I think I put... There's like 59% of a good movie here. So if we think about it, a C plus is a 79%. So really, we I'm I'm upgrading my grade here. I know it's not exactly a one to one. No, uh, I I I, that, I, uh, I understand what you're saying. Somewhere between a C plus and a B minus because I did have fun. Like I there were times where I laughed out loud and I was doing it by myself. I was laughing out loud, you know, to my laptop screen, to my FBI agent watching me. That was the only kind of company I had with it, and that's fine. Nothing wrong with that. If you, um, here's here's what I would say. When the next one comes out in like three years, I, I would also just, by the way, would love if Brian Johnson just makes this his like version of Avatar, you know, where he's just going to spend the next like 20 years of his career only doing Benoit Blanc mysteries. Fuck yeah. Like, give it to me, baby. Um, but if you're going to watch the next one of these by yourself, just phone me up. I'll sit on FaceTime. Like, you can't watch We need it. to do that more. We need to get like Netflix parties and shit going like that, too. Yeah. I mean, no free ads. That was... But we'll do some kind of party. Yeah. yeah big, yeah. big streamer party. Uh, can't wait for, I, I really can't wait for uh, the, the 3D Benoit Blanc. I, I want to like have the, the Avatar 3D glasses to go see a Benoit Blanc movie. <laughs> That's really funny. Um, it, I had, like, I had fun. I definitely felt that some I, you know maybe maybe i just needed somebody else in the writers room with ryan maybe he needed shout out to evan fungundus maybe he needed to put down the pen a few times and i think i could really see this in like b b plus territory because the mystery was good and really liked some of the performances 
it's 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 shot well like it's it looks good like it's it's it is not the traditional netflix looking movie like this was like hey a real person directed this you know a there were real cameras real lighting departments real costumes like it is a real movie on you know a streaming service that i don't know if always makes real movies and encourages real creatives so that is a good thing i uh i've been finding this a lot lately mostly with music but the best art is made by people who also make art that I don't really like. Mm, okay. People that aren't afraid to walk the line. Right. Yeah. And when they get really close to the line, I love it. And when they go over the line, I don't. But my most favorite stuff is by people who also make things that I actively dislike. But my like things that I just kind of like. I will like an entire person's catalog of those things. Okay. Um, and so I'm fine with Ryan Johnson maybe crossing the line on Glass Onion for you. But that doesn't mean he's not going to be able to pull you back again. Yeah. I, I really could see this being a real, a solid like in-between. I feel like the third one could really, really be special. Because part of the – I think the COVID shadow over this movie too, you know, that they did, it, it, it could be a really good bridge. Yeah, I mean, they're going to make another one. No yeah. no doubt, right? Mm-hmm. I think he'll make a third. I don't know if he'll make a fourth. Yeah. But I think a trilogy would be really fun. I think a Ryan Johnson trilogy would be fun, and I think it'd be cool to hand off the character of Benoit to a different director. And and maybe that's the point where I'd be okay with, like, a prequel. Hand it off to a different director, hand it off to a different actor, and let's see if we can... I would be curious to see how daniel craig would write and maybe direct his own benoit blanc movie. oh now you're talking Same. i love daniel craig. can we uh, leave on that note it feels like a i think that's a great I like i just smoked one to dead center you just mic dropped the pod right there um any final thoughts you good i think that was it yeah, that's yep. that's that's me right there thank, thank you as always for listening if you haven't already follow us on twitter at flicking Flick and scream on Instagram at flicking and screaming. Go to our website, flicking and screaming.com. 2023 is going to be the year of flicking and screaming. Guys, we're going to make some big moves. Yeah. We're going to make moves, not movies. But we're going to talk about movies. That's right. Uh, moves about movies. Next week, speaking of our moves, uh, we're going to do our goals pod. Our 2023 goals pod. Last year, we did only movie goals. I've just decided we're going to open it up to just like any goal that our three co-hosts have. You know, they could be related to movies, related to the pod. It could be personal goals. Let's fucking hear it. I think I haven't done it in years. Last year was the first time I ever did anything goals related in the new year. I used to do it all the time. I think it's powerful. And I want to encourage the listeners to, like, you know, take control of their lives and, and, you know, make some goals for themselves, whether it be as movie lovers or just, you know, human citizens of this planet Earth. So, we're going to fucking talk about some goals next week, and it's going to be fun. And then I think two weeks, two or three weeks, then we're going to do our best of 2022. We're giving everybody time to be able to go see all those movies. Um, you know, That everybody includes the co-hosts of this podcast, myself, who have not seen plenty of those. I know, Jed, you're still playing catch up. Evan has us both beat. Evan saw everything. I don't Evan know how saw we... everything the night it opened. Dude. Everything the night it opened. Absolute sicko. We're, we're well, both, said, we're both know, behind coastal, Mr. Pagans. He's a coastal elite. You know, he's had access to all these, Dude. All these films. Um, 
No, but we're excited. Those. Next couple of weeks are going to be an awesome wrap of 2022. Um, and I think I would love to do a preview of what we're looking forward to in 2023 as well. I think yeah. there's really exciting things coming up. But for that, Flicking and Screaming, I'm Jed Sprague. My friend across from me is the only other man who got sent a case of Jared Leto's hard kombucha. But he said it was shitty. So, shite. JT Chimmin, have a good night, everybody. Evan will be back next week. Do not despair. See ya. And now, the starting lineup for your Gaysters. What's up, guys? I'm a slacker. I'm not going to debate you, Jerry. God bless the internet.